let's answer this question for us if you could. Why is Bankless wrong about just about everything? <laughs> Welcome to Bankless, where we explore the frontier of internet money and internet finance. This is how to get started, how to get better, and how to front run the opportunity. This is Ryan Sean Adams. I'm here with David Hoffman, and we're here to help you become more bankless. All right, guys, special podcast episode for you today. You've been listening to Bankless for a while, probably, and that's good. But are you in a silo of information? <laughs> Where is the bankless thesis actually wrong is the question we pose today. We brought on someone who shares many of the same values that we do at Bankless, but has an alternate view of how to get there. A few things that we talk about today is Ethan Buckman tells us why we're wrong. Number one, are we going to live in a many chain future or a few power law winning chain future? Number two, can a chain win without actually being money? Bankless doesn't think so. Ethan seems to. Number three, uh, Ethereum shared security, we're going to have that model of the world, or an app chain model. That's what Cosmos is driving towards, and what are the trade-offs of both? And fourthly, I think this is the big question of the episode, what is the best way to build this crypto world without turning it into a dystopia, either an anarchy dystopia or an empire dystopia? That was the setting for the conversation. David, what were some of your thoughts uh, as listeners going to this episode? Yeah, Ethan does the same thing that we do, where we look towards history and extrapolate models and lessons from history into the future for crypto networks. So it's interesting when we are, we're both watching the same story, we're both looking at the same data, but we interpret this data differently as it relates to the future of crypto networks. Uh, so, you know, Ethan sees a, a world of city-states and says like, oh, the, the future of, of crypto will be a bunch of app chains, city-state-like app chains. And Ryan, you and I, so we see a, a world of nation-states and, and empires that have come to dominate the globe. And we think that that means that the future of crypto will be dominated by a few chains that can uh, create just a network of networks, because that's what an empire is. It's a network of networks. Empire is kind of like the, the wrong word. Uh, it's got a negative connotation. We talk about that in the show. Uh, but basically, listeners in their head should be thinking about just what is the long-term equilibrium of the topology of networks. Is this going to be a concentric circle model where uh, network effects begets network effects, capital begets capital, liquidity begets liquidity, and all of these find a center gravitational pull to a center point? Or will there be pockets of value all over this, this topology, some big, some small, but no one real center point? Uh, that is kind of the meta question being asked here. Uh, and so uh, Ethan, uh, like I said, just does a fantastic job of also looking the history, uh, looking towards previous governance structures, previous pockets of value in the world, uh, and tries to extrapolate these things out into the future. Uh, really good episode. Really good episode, Ryan. Yeah, I think the the reason this is relevant for everyone is because uh, you got to kind of place your bets, right? Yep. Place your bets as a builder, place your bets as an investor, place your bets as someone on the bankless journey as to which of these visions is more true. And probably the truth is it's going to be somewhat in the middle. There's elements of truth uh, to, to both of these ideas. But um, I do think one will win out over the other in time. So we get into all of this. We're going to get right into the conversation with Ethan Buckman. But first, I want to tell you about these awesome tools for going bankless. Hey, Bankless Nation, we are super excited to host this conversation with Ethan Buck Buckman. He is a fantastic human being. He's also an internet biophysicist, which is kind of cool, a monetary localist, that's from his Twitter profile, and the co-founder of the Cosmos ecosystem, as well as the president of the Interchain Foundation, Ethan 
Thanks for joining us. We're going to talk about city-states versus empires today, and I think this is going to be fun. It's great to have you on, man. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's good to be here. So I want to set the context uh, for listeners here. I um, I think the goal of this conversation is not necessarily to like have you change our minds or for us to change your mind, right? That would be overambitious. We're not going to accomplish anything like that in the podcast. <laughs> I think the goal is really understanding. Mm-hmm. So we want to thoroughly understand your perspective, how you see this this whole blockchain thing uh, shape sh- shaking out, because I know many of our core values, the reasons that we're in crypto are the same, but you have a different vision for the future mm. than probably Bankless does. And let me just go, I hope this goes without saying, uh, we Bankless have, have a tremendous amount of respect for everything that you guys have built in the Cosmos ecosystem. We think it's net accretive, it's added a lot of value uh, to crypto and we're aligned on on so many of the values um, that, that we both share. But with that said, Let's dive right into the question at hand. So um, this is kind of the the title of this episode, but I think it's probably something that you believe. Maybe it's a bit tongue-in-cheek, but let's answer this question for us, if you could. Why is Bankless wrong about <laughs> just about everything, Ethan? All right. Well, well, well thanks for that. I, I mean, let me say, um, you know... Um, uh, I, I think we do probably have a lot in common. Obviously, we're coming from from similar places. And, uh, you know, I think the the starting from the title of the show, Bankless, like, you know, we, we obviously agree there's um, a lot fundamentally wrong with the banking system. And, that, and that's why so many of us, you know, so many of us are here. And, and, and I think you guys do a great job of like exploring, exploring the space. And there's a lot of good, um, you know, good technical and, and philosophical content on the show. So uh, I'm happy to, to be here and to be able to add to that. I think at the end of the, you know, what it really comes down to, you know, and claiming you guys are basically wrong about everything, that's just, you know, Twitter <laughs> diplomacy. Um, so here we have some <laughs> podca- podcast diplomacy, which allows us to be a little bit more nuanced. Yeah, um, we're, we're trying to hype the views here, Ethan. Let's be real. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think, uh, I, I think it, it, it's really a matter of emphasis. And, you know, I've, I've seen, um, uh, you know, on the show and in, in some writings, a lot of focus on things like, okay, going bankless, uh, things like monetary premium, things like, um, uh, you know, this empire model and, uh, and, and what's another one, DeFi, right? Uh, and, and what I prefer is, is to emphasize um, something a little bit different for each of those things, right? So rather than bankless, I would rather think about being co-op full. Uh, rather than monetary premium, I would rather think about monetary clearing. Um, rather than empires, I prefer to think about city-states. And rather than decentralized finance, I prefer to think about regenerative and or collaborative finance, right? So it's, it, it's a little bit of a shift in, in emphasis. Um, it's not so much that you're wrong about everything per se, it's just that maybe uh, uh, maybe you're incomplete, or you know maybe we're we're not going far enough, and so you know we, we can unpack all those things and and, and talk about um, what they mean, and yeah. And Ethan, just to set the stage and put a, an image into our listeners' heads, I, I think a, a great way to uh, frame this context is or conversation is to how we differ on what the whole like network topology of crypto networks mm. looks like. I think the bankless thesis is that there's general some sort of center. There's some sort of like epicenter. There's some sort of gravitational center to the industry. Uh, and that's kind of summarized in the concept that liquidity begets liquidity, capital begets capital, network effects begets ne- network effects. And at some point, there's this concentric circles that all come to a convergence point. And that is a little bit el- illustration of like the empire model where uh, mm. one center blockchain with a many, many layer twos kind of feels like all all roads lead to Rome, right? All layer twos lead back to the layer one. Uh, and that's kind of our model for for the topology of, of network effects, this concentric circles with a focal point. 
and so do you like this like topology uh, illustration? And, and if you had to illustrate what the topology of networks looks like at maturity, how, how would it look in your brain? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's definitely multi-scalar, and I I think there are hierarchies, uh, you know, necessary hierarchies within it. Uh, I don't know that there's one thing at the root. I think there will probably be a few at least. Um, and and I'm happy for you know Ethereum to be up there. Uh, I certainly think they're you know I'm long Bitcoin and and Ether, uh, Adam, of course. But um, you know, so I think I think there's room for for a few things at the root, and that they do they do serve different purposes, and and you know there certainly could be more. Um, but what what's most important to me is you know when we use this analogy of empires like there there are there are critical issues in the world with sort of how we've structured society and 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 using a model of domination and oppression as like the way we want to structure how we're how we're building next to address these critical issues uh doesn't seem like the like the best approach and and maybe there are aspects to it that are you know you talk about capital begets capital liquidity begets liquidity there are there's certainly uh there's certainly truth to this but I question whether it's um, whether it's right or whether it's always good or what what generates that and 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 the challenge for me with the kind of empire model is one of representation of of stakeholders and of information in the structure uh, of the empire in the state machine of the empire we could say right and and the the sort of broader you go and, and the bigger you go um, the less able you are to represent the actual needs and interests and values of human beings on the ground and of, um, uh, and of nature in some sense. And so, you know, the, the cosmos thesis has really been that it's really, you know, this technology we've built is really important. It's really important to have these big, bad public blockchains that are, you know, dedicated to the pursuit of like a small set of ideals, like, you know, Bitcoin and, and, and Ether, let's say, or Ethereum. Uh, but it's also extremely important to move this thing forward that we develop software and technology that makes it easy for every community to have their own uh, a computer, essentially, right? So I think about this as like the community computer revolution. And and what I hear, you know, about empires and, and blockchains that are, that are supposed to be empires, it's like talking about mainframes, right? It sounds like some IBM exec in the 40s that's like, nobody needs a personal computer. Uh, we just need like, you know, one or a couple mainframes. Uh, and they can run an IBM's basement, and okay, we can compete with Dell or, or whoever's uh, mainframe, and, and and that's it. And all the world's you know compute needs can be kind of based on that or or derived from that. And obviously, that's ridiculous. That's not what um, that's not what happened. It's certainly what a lot of people thought back in the day. You know uh, that we'd never need more than I don't know a few hundred kilobytes of RAM, or that no one would have devices in their pocket or or, or at home. And and instead, these forces of of sovereignty and interoperability took hold over the structure of the internet and the evolution of computing. In that now we have you know billions of devices. Everyone has their own computer. They're sovereign over it. They can I mean maybe not as sovereign as we'd like in in, in a variety of important ways, but um, you know they can install whatever software they want. Generally speaking, they can swap out pieces of hardware. They they can decide who to, who to connect to and 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 so on. What programs they run, and yet they're still all interoperable with each other. And and you know that was the kind of personal computer revolution connected up over the internet. And and what I think Cosmos is about is really bringing the community computer revolution to light, so that every community can develop um, its own computer that represents their values, their needs, uh, and and their interests, and is still interoperable with all the others. And you know the the sort of empire model of security it may have a role to play in that, uh, but I'm not sure the empire analogy is is, is the best one for it. I sort of prefer mm -hmm. I, I prefer ecological um, analogies, and and I look at um, 
you know, the cycles uh, that we depend on, right? The, the sunlight, the water cycle, nitrogen cycle, things like that, right? And so I would sort of look at these, um, maybe some of these root blockchains like, like Bitcoin and, and, and Ethereum maybe as more akin to, you know, sunlight and, um, and the water cycle or something like that in the scheme of, of life and, you know, ecological blockchain systems that, that, we're, that we're trying to develop rather than, you know, empires that are going to go dominate the whole world and, and secure everyone with their armies and, you know, force you to pay rent. Yeah, and, and certainly the the empire metaphor breaks down at some point. Uh, there's a much uh, huge difference between the actual physical empires of history and uh, using that model to ex uh, understand crypto networks. All these crypto networks are inherently opt in, which is a huge check on the network themselves. Uh, so, but from what I think I've, I've gathered from you is like rather than just like the concentric circles model where there's something at the at the focal point, they're just like pockets, just pockets of value all around this like you know. Uh, landscape uh, and some are big, some are small, some are very big, some are tiny. Uh, yeah. And then there's like this connective tissue, this like fabric that interweaves all of these things. Is that is that yeah. like the right illustration to put in listeners' heads? That's right. Yeah, it's, it's a more emergent topology. Um, and, you, you know, the best place to see this actually emerging is on mapazones.com where you can actually see the different Cosmos blockchains and, and see their connections with each other. And no one, you know, no one conspired to uh, to construct that topology. It's fully emergent, and each chain chooses who it wants to connect to. And you know, right now there's like I don't know, forty five chains on there. Um, and you know, someday there will be hundreds, if not if not thousands, or you know, millions, or if Celestia has its way, billions. So, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So that's uh, I think that that's really important. Yeah, that's really cool. And uh, we'll include a link to, uh, to to that website in the show notes so people can get a flavor. But um, you're essentially talking about Cosmos has always talked about this world of, of many chains, many interoperable, almost mm -hmm. like, you know, in kind of the Ethereum world, you, you call these a whole bunch of side chains or app mm -hmm. chains has mm -hmm. been or, or city states is maybe the 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 analog. Um, We'll talk about some of that and some of the maybe the pushback uh, from Bankless, but for, first we want to understand it fully. So you mentioned four things uh, uh, as well that you believe rather than kind of the the main Bankless thesis. And the first thing you said is rather than think about Bankless, you you, you think about co-opt full. What does that mean? Co-op like cooperatives, right? Um, so uh, I think the 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 history of banking and, and the problem with banks are in a deep way actually tied up with problems with with corporate structure and corporate governance and shareholder primacy and and all these kinds of things. Um, and I think uh, you know the the structure of capitalism owes a lot to its you know the the challenges with it. It's not just about the banks; it's also about our corporations and our corporate structures. And you know just uh, just getting rid of the banks, but keeping all the all the sort of corporate structuring um, might not solve our, our our problems as deeply. And I think, you know, banks in, in a certain way, they're, they're there to play an important role. Obviously, they've gone, you know, completely, um, completely off the cliff and, and, and are not actually serving people the way, uh, you know, a healthy system system might. But, you know, big, a big part of that is, um, is the nature of corporations and, and the sort of shareholder primacy. And so what I'm especially interested in addressing some of these issues are cooperatives and in particular worker cooperatives, right, uh, where they very directly within the, you know, within the state machine of the organization of the corporation represent directly the interest, the ownership rights, the governance rights of the workers, right? And if we just go bankless and we don't actually fix corporate structures and roll out cooperatives, um, then I think uh, I, I, I think we won't actually achieve our aims and we'll have all kinds of, you know, various various perversions. And so, so for instance, our, our, our company, I think uh, you might've missed this in the intro, I'm also the CEO of Informal Systems, which is structured as a workers cooperative, right? So every every mm -hmm. member of the of the company um, every employee is a is a uh, one person one vote owner 
you know, uh, uh, member. And and we're sort of starting to explore this with DAOs and stuff in, in, in the crypto ecosystem, but there's still very much, you know, uh, token voting going on there. And you know, I expect we'll talk about token voting a little bit later and sort of critiques of, you know, Cosmos proof of stake, which is, you know, totally valid. But um, so I so I, I think there's an emphasis, you know, distinction there on, on not just going bankless, but also going co-op full. And there are banks that are structured as co-ops. They're, they're consumer co-ops. They're called credit unions, right? Uh, and so, you know, we can do a lot to go, you know, to push back against the big banks by supporting our local credit unions, right? Um, and I think they have an important role to play and we should be looking at how our technology, you know, can actually help them. And, and people love their credit unions. I mean, they're there to serve their members, right? Um, they're not there to screw you. They're not there to siphon out profits to some foreign shareholders. Um, they are, you know, they are, they are really there for, for, for membership. And that's the kind of way we should be thinking about things, not just in this like, oh, self-sovereign opt out, screw the banks, you know, you know, have a Swiss bank account in your pocket kind of thing, but more like, okay, how do we reconstitute something in a, um, you know, more positive looking, uh, you know, so rather than bankless co-op full. <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. So, so we're seeing a distinction a distinction and emphasis because uh, bankless would certainly agree with the, the vision of more co-ops, but, but our emphasis, you're right, Ethan is, um, on not needing governance system, not needing banks at all. Whereas mm -hmm. maybe your emphasis is let, let's turn the existing banking services into co-ops where individuals in, in a community might own it. Our emphasis is a bit more like uh, be your own bank. Like mm -hmm. if we have something like Uniswap, then we don't actually need an intermediary at all, whether it's a co-op, like governance, governance list is better than having some element of, of uh, governance. I do agree with you though, like um, credit unions are better than banks. So um, our first business account, we actually got kicked out of Bank of America, okay? Cause we had a crypto transaction from Coinbase to like <laughs> our uh, Bank of America. So they booted yeah. us, they sent us a Dear John letter. And yeah. so where, where are we banking now? Because, uh, you know, show secret, bankless cannot actually be fully bankless right now. We have real world bills to pay. So we get our services from a credit union. They've not, they almost kicked us out last week, but they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we are still banked with a credit union, credit union uh, serve our needs so we are believers in in the the co-op vision but those are that's expressed a bit more on the DAO level ideally under that level is our governance list protocols mm. that don't even have a co-op member vote model because mm. humans are fickle and prone to like uh plutocracy and so if you can remove all of the governance styles from the system that's a little bit better how would you react to that do you see that distinction yeah, I mean, I, I, I see it. Obviously, there are there are value, you know, there is value in, um, you know, governance minimization at certain layers, but not at every layer. And I think, um, you know, humans are inherently political animals. Um, and, and, and it's important to give voice to that, right? And it's not just about exit, it's also about voice and, and you know, obviously about loyalty. Um, and, and, and we need our systems to actually be able to represent that kind of, that, that kind of function and, and, and coordination ability, you know, governance is, is a coordination protocol. And yes, there are ways it gets, um, corrupted. And that's why important that it, it's important that it remains local and accessible. Um, and, but, but to say that, you know, it has no role, I think is, uh, is missing something very important. And, and a lot of my, a lot of my philosophy, I mean, I call, you know, I don't, I don't like to get put into boxes, so I won't like sign up for anyone else's label. I invent my own labels. Um, one I one I really like is sustainability existentialism, which is sort of derived from my background in biophysics and studying the theory of organisms and you know theoretical ecology and like you know what makes a sustainable system, right? That, that's what that's what I'm here for. Like, how do we you know how do we structure society to actually be sustainable, right? Um, and and my understanding of what that takes is effective multi-scale representation of the environment of the things that drive you within the system, right? And so if you don't 
make way for some form of politics and governance, you are going to insufficiently represent the stakeholders, represent the system, and that will lead to some kind of, you know, issue down the road, some kind of uh, unsustainability. But, you know, I think it, it, it's a multi-scalar issue. And so at different scales, you need, uh, you need different protocols, right? And at some scales, generally at larger scales, you, you do want some level uh, of governance minimization. I mean, no one has c control over the sun, right? That's probably a good thing. If like we could block out the sun, that would probably be bad, you know? So, okay, it's good that know, the sun I, I is like- Elon Elon Musk is putting a bit on the sun. I wouldn't put it past him, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whereas, you know, at, at, at other scales, it is important to, to be able to intervene and, um, and, you know, as, as, as humans sort of um, decide what we want. Right. And, and, and I think uh, that's important. Yeah. And I think elements of this conversation are going to uh, reoccur throughout this podcast is mm -hmm. at what layer in the stack does governance, should governance exist? And, uh, at what layer in the stack is complete sovereignty exists and, and how do those things intermingle? I think that's going to be a core theme of this podcast. And so mm -hmm. mo moving into one of the, the next things that you said, Ethan, earlier in the show is the difference between monetary premium and monetary clearing. Mm. Uh, and so I think that means, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the difference between a single asset accruing a bunch of monetary premium just because it's really useful and a market, a marketplace that is really, really good at clearing itself. Is that the right distinction? And, and how would you add to these, uh, these two elements? Yeah, sort of. And, and I think it builds on the, uh, you know, the function of banks and stuff um, and, and, and what is the nature of money. And, and, and you guys have, have put a lot of emphasis on this monetary premium idea, this store of value idea, which is, you know, another way of saying uh, liquidity or, or sort of monetary demand. Um, and I have become a lot more interested in its inverse, which is velocity, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, what makes good money? Is it, is it stuff that, that sits tight and just like accrues value under your mattress? Or is it stuff that's always on the move and 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 helps people get what they want and and get what they need, right? And there there is a there is a sense in which when the velocity mechanisms, the clearing mechanisms, the ability to actually exchange and clear and 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 you know engage and trade and so on, when that stuff breaks down, there uh, the importance of the store of value and the monetary premium just kind of skyrockets, right? It's like a hedge against the failure of the exchange network, right? And so from that perspective, okay, this monetary premium thing is, is very important, but that's not the be all end all of money. And it's certainly not the case that good money is money which just accrues value indefinitely and, and no one can use it or no one wants to use it because it's too expensive and you know it'll be worth more tomorrow. Like that's not what makes good money. Uh, you know, that, that, that's a piece of it. And it's especially important piece when your whole banking system has broken down and when it's gone, you know, completely corrupt and, and, and no one except for, you know, the biggest corporations in the world can access credit, then yes, okay, then maybe the store of value thing is, um, is, is super important. And so I agree that it's important, but I think we have to go much, much further beyond it and not just focus on, you know, I, I think we agree that um, money is the killer app here, right? But we, we have to have a more, I think, nuanced and, and detailed conversation about what makes good money and what kind of money we're trying to design. And if, if the only input to that is like deflation and, you know, ultrasoundness, um, which is uh, something I kind of hate, <laughs> um, then, then I think, uh, I, I think we're going to mess the whole thing up. And, uh, you know, I think uh, uh, to some extent, you know, I blame the sort of Austrian tradition for having been, um, I think they their like development was arrested early on and they became reactionary because of the war and you know the 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 um, totalitarian fascist regimes and, and and whatever that's all that's a whole separate conversation but i think we need to go a lot deeper into the into the nature and, and history of money to understand um you know how we build systems that enable clearing in local communities that enable people to actually engage uh more in trade and and um and and you know build actually more sustainable production chains and it's not just about you know holding money and having its its value go up and having it be the most demanded thing uh and having this like infinite liquidity it's actually about 
making sure the money moves. And if the money's not moving, uh, it's probably not good money. It's it's sitting still. It's making certain people rich and other people not. And I'm not sure that, that that's exactly what makes um, what makes good money. And so what, what we've been starting to focus on, especially at Informal, is studying this problem of, of credit clearing uh, and, and, and of, of focusing on, you know, how do we how can we start to engineer systems that enable businesses that trade with each other or, or even people uh, to actually clear their debts, clear their trade credits without introducing uh, external liquidity or by introducing the minimal amount of external liquidity, right? And so, you know, the simplest way to think about this is, you know, David, if I owe you money and, and you owe Ryan and Ryan owes me, we can clear all those debts without any liquidity, right? Just by servicing the fact that we have this closed loop of obligations, right? Now that's, that's good money. I mean, that money didn't even materialize and yet we were able to have a whole, you know, cycle of exchange and, and, and it's not sitting under anyone's mattress. It's not accruing, you know, value or premium or, or anything like that. It, it's just the actual network of obligations. And I think that's actually the root of money is, um, you know, is, the, is this sort of like mutualism in, in, in a sense and, you know, altruism and, and, and gift economies and all, and all this sort of stuff. But uh, trying, to, trying to bring that back in, into the modern world, I think is really important because we've lost it. And so much of our economics has been structured to be kind of linear, right? And, and something comes in, goes out, and it usually ends in, in some rich person's pocket, and then it stays there. And, and, you know, you look at measures of monetary velocity, and they're collapsing, and money doesn't move through the economy, and people can't get access to it, right? And so focusing on this monetary premium aspect kind of devalues this actually super important thing, which is that we make sure that, that money circulates, that people can, can clear their obligations, that they can enter into, obligate, you know, into uh, trade obligations without feeling like they have to go into debt to a bank and pay high interest rates just to be able to participate in the economy, right? And so, you know, by looking at, at, at that kind of approach to clearing, you can actually clear significant fractions of debt in an, in an economy without any liquidity, without changing the structure of the obligation graph, like without changing who, you know, without introducing a clearinghouse, just by surfacing the information about who owes what and looking, and, and looking for cycles, right? And anytime you find a cycle, you can, you can clear those cycles, right? And that uh, is, is an incredibly powerful tool for, especially for small and medium-sized businesses whose, you know, primary constraint really is uh, liquidity, right? It's like, how, how do I, you know, maybe you're solvent, maybe your, your receivables exceed your payables, uh, but if you're not receiving in time and your payable is due, you know, you're out of business, right? And so by, by actually uh, looking at the network of obligations and, and, and enabling this kind of clearing, we can build much better monies that serve much greater, uh, you know, fractions of the population than just, you know, some dumb thing that, you know, has, has a significant sink and is, you know, deflationary and is accruing value and, and making people the whole, that hold it early rich, you know? Uh, yeah. I actually think this is really, really interesting. And Ethan, I, I think from what I've gathered, hints you, you and I have read the same book, uh, Debt: The First Five Thousand Years. Um, if if that book uh, draws your memory, I'll, I'll come back to that in a second. Um, but the the spectrum that I'm getting here is that on on and money. There's a lot of monies out there in the world, and what money is isn't actually one thing. But we just have a bunch of things that have money properties, and they ha exhibit different properties on the money spectrum. And I think what mm -hmm. you uh, just illustrated is that you're looking for a money system that has. Uh, uh, extremely high velocity and in contrast with like the ultrasound money of, of that we describe ether to be, mm -hmm. which would be very much almost trying to get to as low velocity as possible, right? Like exclusively yeah. a store of value uh, and much less emphasis on a medium of exchange. But what you're trying to go, you're, I think what you're saying is that if we go so far on the medium of exchange side of things, uh, we, can, do, we might actually be able to lose the de denominator. So if I owe you money, you owe Ryan money, and Ryan owes me money, but they're all, these are all obligations of a certain type 
Uh, and so like maybe maybe those types are, are different currencies. Like maybe Ryan owes me Dai, I owe you Bitcoin, and you owe Ryan Cosmos. Maybe we could get even more esoteric and be like Ryan owes me a favor, and I owe you an item, and and like some other like weird thing. But like the 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 vision of of uh, what, what you're what you're trying to articulate is that the network between the network of obligations where money was formed out of a network of obligations for people. And then we just use this denominator to settle the, settle the trades. So I think what you're illustrating is that if there's this network of obligations, cosmos, the technology or this, this, uh, the, yeah, cosmos, the technology can actually settle these obligations independently and agnostically from the other commitments from other parts of the network. Uh, and so the velocity is actually so fast that the currency doesn't actually manifest. Did I did I hear that correct? I mean, that, that, I think that's a, a major goal is that to have velocity so high, basically infinite, that the currency doesn't actually even have to manifest. I mean, it's in you know simultaneously everywhere at once. That is that is sound money. I mean, you want sound money, you can't even see it. I mean, it's it's travels at the speed of sound, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, a, a dumb but, okay, cat rock under, under your this... bed. That's not that's not sound money. <laughs> The, the problem with that, Ethan, is that if that's true, and then we've like the velocity has gone so fast that we've eliminated uh, the need for for money, then what do people buy? <laughs> people like people like buying things with number go up. If there's no number go up, then how do you inject attention onto that thing? That's a really interesting and profound question for our species because I think that you know I think this is associated with so you know I think monetary premium has a religious origin, and and maybe private property does as well. And a lot of what we are reeling from, um, you know, in the last know, couple decades or something or, or 100 years is, is the collapse of the kind of religious substrate of our lives. Uh, and what we're, we're sort of refining it in the memetics of, you know, internet culture, which is, you know, giving us new kinds of mythologies and new, new kinds of salvation stories like, oh, if I, if I hold the token, you know, its value will go up and then I will be saved or whatever, right? Um, and I think we need to get real with ourselves about that. And um, I'm... You know, not necessarily just trying to play a game of of make number go up because I think there's there's more to life than you know watching numbers on a screen. Um, yeah, I'm interested in, in in sustainability, and it's true that you know telling that story it's a little bit maybe it's a little bit less catchy. Uh, maybe we need to work on our memes a little a little more and a little harder, and and you know take seriously the the religious nature of all of this and 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 what it takes to attract people. Um, but I think we do need we do need to question the games we're playing and 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 what we're in it for. And if we're just in it for number go up, then like you know that's what the banks were in it for. So like. What makes us better than bankers? You know, I uh, th there's a lot of comments here, which is interesting. I I do think that um, like humans, I've I've come to accept that humans are you know religious creatures in general. And talk about mm -hmm. biology, like we're probably hardwired towards this. Mm -hmm. So it it's going to be hard to collectively uh, make a change here. And also like somewhat when we get into the kind of the the more of the pushback section, we can talk a little bit about like the world that you are envisioning sounds amazing. Like I would sign up for that world. That would be fantastic. Like, please, yes, let's do monetary uh, clearing instead of monetary premium. Yeah. But some level, some of the times I've been wrong in crypto have been times where I was a bit too idealistic, mm -hmm. and I was like searching for this kind of like this perfection, uh, hoping that humans wouldn't be greedy about things and not accepting the world as it is. And so maybe we'll get into that conversation as we as we go through in, in some of our uh, our questions about your thesis, uh, Ethan. But mm -hmm. let's get to the next one first, which is this idea of uh, empires versus city states. Mm -hmm. Okay, so and you know, David has said, look, the world the the word empires is kind of troublesome because it sounds like the the imperial Roman uh, empire bah, who will bah, bah, yeah, bah, it's bah, like bah. Darth Vader <laughs> and like. You 
you know, crucify you, behead you if you disagree and don't get in the path of uh, the, the Roman war machine, that sort of thing. But when we're talking about empire, it's like an opt-in empire. It's right. it's sort of like every individual, every chain has the ability to kind of opt in and exit at any point in time. So I want to clarify the, that. The but empire uses its resources to fight for the love of its users. Yes. Mm -hmm. So empire of love, maybe. But mm -hmm. let's still use that. Let's still That's use that loose say, analogy guys, here. All right. All right. <laughs> Is that what Vader said? <laughs> I mean, that's what, the, that's what the American imperialists have always said. You know, we're protecting freedom and whatever. Well, let's by, talk about that. So you. <laughs> let's let's still use this. Let's still use this uh, analogy, though. You know, maybe the empire thinks it's an empire of love, but you, you use the city-state analogy and, and mm -hmm. tell us about the distinction from the bankless thesis. Yeah, I mean, again, for me, it's a it, it's a question of sovereignty. It's a question of um, representing stakeholders in the state machine, right? And and I think that the empire model is important at a certain you know the, the empire model is important at a certain layer, um, maybe high up high up the stack to have a sort of low resolution uh, representation of the world. But to actually cater to the needs of of, of humans and our, our ecosystems, we need much higher resolution uh, machines, state machines that better represent stakeholder interests, right? And and the city state is is kind of a um, a form of doing that. That's a much more local, smaller scale, um, you know, polity that represents the people that are part of the city, rather than trying to be you know an an oppressive, dominating empire that's sort of conquering and expanding and and trying to cover the whole globe, right? And usually what happens with, with those empires is, is at some point they get too good for them, too big for themselves, um, and they break down because they, are, they, they you know, stew political unrest because they are found to insufficiently represent the interests of their citizenry, right? And, and so people rebel, and, and, and what do they do? Well, instead of, you know, they form nation states. They say, to hell with your empires. We want, uh, we want a state that represents our culture, our language, our interests. We still want to, you know, cooperate with everyone. Um, but we don't want to do it on these sort of imperial imperial terms, right? And and so you, you get this progression from from empires to to the nation states. Uh, and I think the same we're seeing the same kind of problem, the same kind of challenge face the nation. And it, it's a it's an information theoretic problem, right? It's a, it's a problem of bandwidth. I mean, how much bandwidth does the state machine of the nation have to represent the interests of of its citizens, right? And it, and it's not much. I mean, the the nation states are these massive entities. Uh, they're they're so big that by the time they sort of accumulate and process information, like it's, it's stale, right? And, and we all know this kind of, you know, uh, motivation for decentralized information and, you know, uh, markets or, or, or whatever. And this isn't like a market fundamentalist um, kind of view that I'm, that I'm espousing here. It's more uh, information theoretic and, and sort of localist kind of, kind of perspective that, you know, arguably now, now that we have most people living in cities, right? And so this is from a ge geopolitical standpoint, the cities don't actually have any constitutional representation in most of their, most of their nation states. They're like, you know, they're effectively corporations like owned by their province or something. I don't know the specifics, but it's something like that, right? And that is a big problem for the people that live within cities that basically don't have sufficient representation in the structures of government, right? And so I actually see a big part of the sort of next next stage of political evolution to be greater sovereignty and representation for cities, right? And I think something similar is kind of happening in, in, in the blockchain space where these big, you know, big bad public blockchains that are trying to be empires, uh, they're, they're too big and their citizenry is too diverse for them to adequately represent their interests, depending on what, what they're trying to do. And we've seen this play out already in the, in, in the sense that, you know, some of these chains have forked themselves. I mean, Bitcoin forked because its citizenry was too, too diverse to, you know, uh, to be served by a single platform. And, and some people wanted, you know, cash or whatever, and others wanted this, you know, more secure censorship resistant layer, right? And, and Ethereum forked 
because of the, the the Dow. Maybe it'll fork again, you know, with, with the merge. I don't know. But in in any case, I don't think having um, you know a singular world computer is sufficient to represent everyone's everyone's interests, right? And I mean, there are lots of people that probably just don't want to use the EVM. I mean, uh, you know, why should we be stuck with this one sort of virtual machine that was you know conjured up? Um, kind of out of nowhere, and now and now we're stuck with it because it's like trying to be an empire, right? And and again, I'm you know I'm I'm bullish ETH. I'm 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 long on um, on the Ethereum project. I think it's an incredible project, but I think some of the philosophy around you know the world computer and it being an empire and, and sort of the dominant thing, I think it's inhibiting a lot of important uh, innovation and representation for people that we actually need to to achieve the sort of larger um, you know larger crypto blockchain vision of decentralized you know, more sovereign communities. One thing I'd say about the empire model is, um, you know, like you could call some a uh, protocol standard that's governance-less like uh, TCP IP to be an communication empire mm. for the internet. And really it's sort of like a governance-less standard that everyone opts into and everyone just agrees, but there are yeah. clearly network effects at play. But maybe my question is, is more like- um, Yeah, but you don't so, have to pay for that. Y- yes, true. In the real difference. world- yeah. We don't see a uh, a setup of like we see kind of like if you've read anything by Ray Dalio and you know charts through history right and we, often on Bankless we like to compare chains to kind of like nation states and that mm-hmm. sort of thing because there's useful analogs but it's fun yeah. uh, everything you were saying about empires is true because we see the rise and fall of empires like throughout history and they reach mm-hmm. a peak and then they do something with their monetary system or they don't represent their citizenry effectively and there's a revolt, there's a revolution and then some mm-hmm. other empire takes charge. We've not really seen a world, at least in the modern world in the last thousand years or so, of many different city-states and mm. you know peak decentralization. We've always seen this like mm. network effect uh, reigning empire, let's say in history. And I'm wondering, like, and so the bankless, uh, I guess, thesis is just like, hey, this will continue. This is a society organizational construct. And what mm-hmm. are we doing? We're actually paying for securities with these chains in the same way. Uh, empires have to pay for military and defense and, you know, implement like tax codes and all of these things. And that's what chains are actually doing. Mm-hmm. And so we haven't seen a world full of many decentralized um, city states in the real world. My question to you, Ethan, is why do, what do you think is different in the world of blockchains and chain yeah. and in that and like the the digital world. Yeah, so there's there's a few things there. So so first I'm not sure actually if that's true. Um and I'm, you know, trying to study a little bit more sort of medieval history to understand, you know, how things went basically before the rise of the the, the Dutch um empires um or the Spanish even. But um, there were, you know, it, it certainly does see, you know, you see these amazing maps of like the Holy Roman Empire and it sounds like, okay, there's an empire there, right? But if you actually look at like the political constitution of the thing, it's incredibly decentralized and, and diverse. And not to say that, you know, feudalism is like a good model for, for what we should be uh, uh, working towards. I mean, we're, uh, you know, just, just trying to understand, understand the history. But I think there is probably a lot, uh, especially in, in, in medieval ages, if, if, not, um, if not older, uh, about political structures that uh, are going to be informative today, and and one way I think about this, I know you know, is, um, this is still kind of new to me, and I'm reading a lot, and a lot is sort of um, you know changing my uh, understanding of the world, especially the more I read about history, and the more you know some some things I took for granted are sort of sort of overturned about money and politics and 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 all these kinds of things. So maybe we'll find out I'm wrong about everything, and and you know at least then we'll know. But um, is uh, so oh, sorry, I lost I lost my train of thought with that caveat. What was I saying? Medieval. Um, Polities. Yeah. Oh, this Holy Roman Empire thing. Right. So um, 
you know, in, in my understanding of this thing, this was like a, um, you know, something that operated above the politics, uh, you know, that was sort of on the ground. And on the ground, you know, there, there was a lot of kind of decentralization between different, you know, minor kingdoms or whatever. And there was this like unifying ethos that bound everyone. And that was the church, essentially, right? And in, uh, you know, in uh, with, with the Peace of West, this is sort of my rough understanding of, of kind of the history, with the Peace of Westphalia in 1648, um, the church, the church's power kind of collapsed and was replaced by this like balance of power ruled over by a hegemon, right? Which, which was initially, uh, uh, the, um, the Dutch and then the British and then, you know, uh, America, right? And there was nothing about, you know, that was the, the hegemon, that sort of imperial, you know, um, uh, ruler was the thing that kind of bound the whole world system together, right? And there was nothing above it. Um, and it, it was the thing that, that was above. And, what I think is happening is that um, the internet is the new church and, and that, you know, there is something now that is above the ruling nation states uh, and, and that can kind of cross between them. And that's the internet. Uh, and, and it does have this kind of religious quality because it connects us to each other in this kind of instantaneous way that is reminiscent of how we used to be connected through our sort of more oral cultures, you know, before, um, before vision and reading and, and literature kind of took over our lives and made us all, you know, very private people and, and, and whatever. But um, and so I, I think what, what, you know, part of what we're seeing is potentially that kind of, uh, you know, a throwback to that, that kind of, um, you know, political substrate where there is something that rules above all the nations, which is essentially the internet and, and, and protocols that can be built at the internet layer. And, and there's a new, you know, um, opportunity for politics to kind of emerge under that and, and new balance powers to emerge and, and, and so on. And so that's part of why, you know, I don't think we're locked into this deterministic, well, there can only be, you know, a single world hegemon and, and you know, they're the imperial army and they protect all the trade routes and, and, and all that. I mean, obviously, we need we need coordinations for, you know, safety and, 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 and security. But, you know, that that's part of what, um, what makes me optimistic about about kind of the future and about the, these sorts of changes. And, and, the, and so I think there, ha, there have been city states and certainly, um, you know, the, you know, I mean, capitalism in some sense got its origin with the Italian city states, which were, you know, not ruled over by a single, a single empire. They were all sort of fighting with each other. And maybe that's not a great model either, um, because, you know, they were fighting uh, quite a bit. Um, but maybe we also need to we need to appreciate the extent to which, you know, some amount of fighting is just sort of inherent. And um, yeah, so. So th that's a little bit why I think that, that um, you know, there, there's more in, in future and that by looking to the past, we can actually learn a little bit about, about what the future is going to be like. And there have been changes in technology that suggest our modes of relating to each other might start to become more like they were in the past than like they have been, you know, the last few hundred years. It might be more like a thousand years ago or, you know, 700 years ago or, or whenever it was. But uh, I'm still learning and, and, and putting, a, uh, putting my thoughts together on this. There, there's a lot here. Uh, but I think, you know, we, you know, a lot of like political economics is really just focuses on the last few hundred years and kind of dismisses a lot that came before that. And um, I think we have a lot to learn from, uh, especially medieval times, if not, if not lots of other times as well. And I certainly think this is an example of, because we also just love looking back into history to, to help project us into the future. And there, we're all, so we're all looking at the same data, right? There, we're all coming to consensus about what was true back then, but mm -hmm. we're just projecting it out, I think, a little bit differently as, as it goes into the frontier, right? Into the unknown, mm -hmm. the next 10 to 20 years of crypto networks. And Ethan, you talked about um, how, you know, at the center of the, the Roman Empire was the empire, but as you went further away from Rome, it started to get into more independent city-states. Uh, and 
this this same model, I think, definitely exists in what we kind of think of Ethereum, uh, where you have this L1 blockchain that is supposedly completely credibly neutral, something that the center of an empire, a, a physical empire, was could not be because it's always up to like human corruption at the end of the day. Uh, mm -hmm. And so if we can code in anti-corruption, anti-governance at the L1 and have it be very, very unopinionated, each layer two represents its own city state. Each layer two represents its own community with its own governance, gets to determine with a, a lot more fidelity what the, what the values of that community each represents on the layer two. And the beautiful, beautiful thing is it's, it's free to spin up a layer two. And it's also free to be secured by the Ethereum layer one. And so the, uh, the only thing that is the Ethereum layer one, the two things that Ethereum, the Ethereum layer one does force upon its layer twos is opinionated about how these things work is that you need to settle to the ethereum with a with a transaction that you pay for in eth and you need to adhere to the rules of the evm uh -huh. and if you, those are the only two rules and the complete the rest of the governance spectrum like what eips we want to implement uh how fast our blockchains want we uh, go where the fees of this blockchain go is completely determined by the periphery uh by mm -hmm. the city states it's just that these city states are anchored down to the central security force uh and and so like the the whole um uh, like totalitarian or top-down control, command and conquer type of the of a empire is completely nulled because of cryptography, right? We've we've removed governance from the base layer to push governance to the layer twos mm -hmm. and allowing these communities to govern themselves. And I think that's what I'm hearing from you as to what you value, uh, and we value these same things. We just think that the again the topology of where these things actually exist are are just different. How would you what would you say to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with a lot of that, and I think the L2 model is is, is great for scaling Ethereum. But you know, mm -hmm. uh, what if you don't want to pay in ETH and be beholden to you know ridiculous ultrasound monetary policy that that <laughs> serves the interests of the creditor <laughs> class? And what if you don't want to use the EV app, which has all sorts of problems and all kinds of limitations and severely uh, restricts your ability to represent how you want to you know structure computations? Uh, and I mean. That's that's a deal breaker for me and 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 for many others, right? And so uh, that's not that's not a knock against Ethereum. I mean, Ethereum's great. There is a lot of amazing things, and, and a lot of people will want to settle against it and and use the EVM and you know inherit all the benefits that come from that. But a lot of people won't, and it's it's important that they don't be you know hit over the head and told they're stupid if they don't use the EVM or ETH because that's the only thing that has monetary premium. And you know, oh whatever, we can we can uh, you know forgive the the sins of the EVM because the monetary premium that's accruing to ETH is sort of sufficient. Uh, and so, you know, don't worry about that. Don't look too closely that, you know, it's fine. I mean, it's not fine. There's, uh, <laughs> there are a lot of needs for, for, for greater sovereignty and, and some people want more, more, more control. And I think it's really important that we, that we have that. And Ethereum's important. Again, you know, I think um, that it, it will, it will play a major role in our future. Um, uh, it may break itself with these, you know, positive feedback loops on its, uh, on its so-called monetary premium. I think that could eventually be, uh, be a problem for it. Um, like it has been historically, uh, you know, over the years, people, uh, rulers have had to interfere, intervene in the monetary system when they have been, quote unquote, too sound, because everyone ends up in debt, and then they can't afford to pay things because the, the, the money is uh, too expensive in the future. And so they're just trapped. Um, and so, you know, all your L2s may end up in, in, in some form of, uh, you know, 
debt servitude to to Ethereum or something, which which probably wouldn't be good. But that that that's the sovereignty thing, right? So I think there's uh there are elements of sovereignty to L2s, but it's not the sort of full fledged sovereignty that that I think is important. And what we've really focused on in Cosmos is you know um, modular pieces. I mean, I think we were pretty much the inventors of this kind of modular thesis, and it's been taken a lot further and and, and improved upon significantly. But what we have built over the years are are modular pieces that work at a certain layer of the stack that people can take and do what they want with and sort of maximize the opportunities for people to use these tools to express themselves to build their own community computers, right. And that was that was the ethos behind Tendermint, it was like, let's build robust Byzantine fault tolerance, that's simple, easy to understand, and on top of which people can build arbitrary applications, right. And then we build the Cosmos SDK. And we say, okay, people want to build public proof of state cryptocurrencies, well, let's make it easy for them to do that with all these modules and stuff and uh, in the Cosmos SDK, right. And then, okay, now we have all these sovereign blockchains, there's, you know, tons of them out there, uh, they need to be able to interoperate with each other. So we focus on IBC and, and IBC, the inter-blockchain communication protocol is very much like TCP. It's a general purpose uh, protocol for communicating, for sending messages between machines. In this case, you know, those machines are generally blockchains, but they actually don't have to be. You can actually, you know, on the, uh, in the internet of blockchains, nobody knows your fridge, right? You can just have a private key or, and, uh, and participate in IBC. It's actually, <laughs> actually pretty cool. Um, and, and, you know, and, and that thing has, has taken off. And now you look at map of zones and you see all these chains connecting with each other. It's like looking at the, the ARPANET in the early days, you know, you have New York connecting to California and the birth of a new internet. And that's, that's kind of what's happening in cosmos. And you don't, you don't get that kind of self-emergent um, you know, experimentation and, and, and innovation and, and expressions, new expressions of, of sovereignty and sort of curiosity, if you're locked in to using ETH and using the EVM. And as much as, you know, using those things give you all kinds of benefits, just like being under any imperial army gives you all kinds of benefits, it, you know, you're, you're paying rent, you're paying taxes. And, uh, not everyone wants to do that. There's going to be rebellions and people want their sovereignty. They want to worship a different, you know, a different Lord, uh, and, and structure their lives differently. And that's, uh, that's totally good and, and should be, you know, nurtured and promoted. And that's what, that's what Cosmos is here for. Yeah. I, 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 I actually agree with a lot of those takes, Ethan. Like I, I do think that, um, I do think that the EVM does enshrine some things. Ethereum certainly does enshrine some things is a little bit different than TCP IP in that way, which is maybe, Governanceless in the way that Ethereum is governanceless, but doesn't actually shrine, uh, enshrine an economic policy the mm. way that Ethereum does. And exactly. I do think if you're a layer two, you you do sign up for the economic policy of yeah. Ethereum, and you do receive the benefits of the the Ethereum network. Uh, let's call it. I I do wonder, and we'll, we'll get to some of this when we get to the like you know kind of the pushbacks or my main objectives, whether. Um, a internet of of side chains of app chains can actually stand up against the economic pressures mm. uh, and like the benefits of aligning yourself with with an empire. And we'll talk about some of mm. those things. Um, one thing I just want to say before I get to your last point on DeFi versus ReFi, though, everything you've uh, you've said about like monetary premium against being sort of you know Austrian, I'm just thinking, Ethan, you must piss off a lot of Bitcoin maximalists too. <laughs> 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 like, how would you like? Uh, how would you uh, identify with the, the Bitcoiner community, which is very much about monetary premium, very much does not believe they that's want the only hyper Bitcoinization, about. right? And like, I, I would say, yeah. yeah, what do you, what, well, I, I how straddled, do they react? Well, yeah, I don't, um, I spend a lot of time defending Bitcoin and I, I play an interesting game where I, I'm sort of playing all sides in some sense, right? So to people that are deep in crypto, I'm telling them that, you know, MMT is important and, and you know, um, forget about your store, store value stuff. And to the MMT crowd and, you know, people outside crypto, I'm saying, hey, Bitcoin is maybe the most important invention ever. Like, get your head <laughs> out of your ass and pay attention to this freaking thing, right? 
Uh, and so, you know, it depends who I'm talking to. I sort of have to adjust my, um, my, my arguments. I think, I think Bitcoin is incredibly important. Um, I write, I write articles about it all the time. I think Bitcoin's proof of work is a very, very significant, meaningful thing. Um, you know, I was listening to the the episode you did with with uh, Justin Drake and, and Lynn Alden. I thought that was really good. Captured, you know, just the 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 constant back and forth um, about about both sides. I, I thought was was amazing. But at the end of the day, I think there is something proof of work provides and a sort of grounding in the real world. You know, my my intuitions about it. You know, Lynn was making a, a ton of great arguments. Um, but at the end of the day, a lot of them are just grounded in the fact that that. Bitcoin is grounded in in something you know thermodynamically real in a way that you know proof of stake is not and and it's funny for me to say that I mean I'm you know I might have I, I think I said this in chat I might have like the, the highest ratio of like pro proof of stake to anti proof of work like in the world like as as far as people that are you know have um, helped make proof of stake happen but are also like very pro Bitcoin and it's and it's use of proof of work um, I seem uh, kind of kind of in a world of my own. So which is interesting, because maybe it means I'm, I'm, I'm wrong, but hopefully it means everyone else is wrong. Um, so with, with what, the Bitcoiners, what, what about, yeah. yeah. Yeah, what about Ethan, if like Bitcoin took over as store of value? Like, uh, do, do you go that far? Because you seem to indicate that, hey, you the best the best money money has the highest velocity. That is not at all what Bitcoiners want yeah. for the world. They want no. everything to hyper Bitcoinize. Yeah, I mean, that's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I think, you know, if, if Bitcoin became the unit of account, we would be in big trouble um, for all the reasons I've been talking about. But that's not to say Bitcoin can't. I mean, this, this is the thing, like, um, you know, gold, gold isn't money. Uh, a unit of account of gold is money, right? Gold on its own is just is just a commodity. Uh, it's, it's just a metal that, you know, has some people have interest in, but it's, it's coined gold. It's gold stamped by the sovereign, uh, you know, with a unit of account that is money. And it's important that there's gold in that coin, no doubt about it. But if you, if you just try to use the gold itself and you fixate on the, like, you know, on, on the, um, on the weight of gold purely, the, the pure weight being, you know, the, you know, hundred percent backed, whatever, uh, money, you, you have a lot of problems. And, you know, historically, if we, if we look at, you know, the nature of, of the coinage system, uh, it, it, it wasn't, really like that until i don't know the 17th century or late 17th century or something and, and actually kind of ironically is you know happened uh, at the same time the bank of england w was created that we sort of went on this like you know idea of a gold standard right where it was like a fixed amount of gold and, and it was like super hard um, super hard currency or, or or whatever so but i think i think uh systems using bitcoin as a substrate maybe with uh their own units of account will be um will be really important and interesting. And I think this is a this is the topic that I, I think is the big open research question for us in the 21st century is like, how do we conceive of units of account? And where do they come from? And what do they represent? Right? And, and, you know, I'm just beginning to start actually having any idea how to even think about or, or, or talk about this. So it, I, I think it's a really important, a really important problem. And we sort of have to go back in history and understand where, where they came from. But um, I think Bitcoin is, is, is super important um, technology. I think if we hyper Bitcoinize and everyone uses Bitcoin as, an, as a unit of account, that would be a, a, a complete disaster. Um, and so, you know, that there's, there, there, there's a subtlety there. Uh, but I think Bitcoin as a, as a substrate and a sort of backing to monetary systems um, will be important. But we also need a, a huge diversity of, of, of monies as well. And Bitcoin will have a role in that. So, you know, I think about Bitcoin, as, I sort of like to say Bitcoin is like the sun, you know, it's like the, the shining of the sun is this sort of constant, constant cycle that you can lean on that you can rely on. Uh, but, it, you know, if you get too close on it, you depend on it too much, you get burnt, right? Um, but it, it's a major input to to other systems that sort of capture the energy from the sun and, and recycle it internally, you know, before dissipating. And so I think Bitcoin is, is is something like that. Okay, Ethan, let's talk about just your last point when you when you went through those four, which was, um, you know, Bankless tends to emphasize DeFi. 
Uh, and you're talking about refi. I will say we do talk a lot about regenerative finance, you know, yep. public goods and that sort of thing. But maybe you have a different uh, definition. What is the distinction between DeFi and, and refi? Refi. I also like CoFi, which is what collaborative finance, which is what we're calling our, our, our project at Informal to work on credit clearing and, and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I think the, the, the problem is really in the finance part of things. Um, and, you know, this, this obsession with like financial value and, and, and trading and speculation and all this stuff at the expense of the real world. And what we're actually trying to do is like, you know, build a sustainable society, uh, which we don't have. And it's not clear that, you know, this uh, obsession with DeFi and, and, and DeFi, you know, products and systems is really helping us there. Um, and so, you know, if we're, if we're talking about, you know, what's the best system for, for building DeFi on top of, okay, great, you know, maybe, maybe your monetary premium and, and Ethereum structure and all that is, is the answer. But if we're talking about, you know, what are the best systems for actually building a sustainable, you know, human society, um, the, you might get different answers, right? And so, um, and again, I, don't, I actually don't fully know, and I struggle a, a lot with, e even with refi, with, um, you know, are we just like financializing um, you know, carbon credits and, and all these things. Like, I think there's, there's probably some good there, but there's also risk that we're just like applying market forces in all kinds of places where they don't belong. Um, and, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm certainly not a market fundamentalist and by just like make, give, making everything accessible to finance and this focus on like, oh, everything, sh you know, we should have like, uh, you know, super liquid markets and, and liquidity begets liquidity and everything should have, uh, you know, be, have low slippage and be easy to trade. Like, I'm not actually sure all those things are, uh, are good. Um, and in the same way, and I think this relates to this, this um, you know, uh, insight I have that actually the network effect is not monotonic. Like, you know, everyone thinks like, oh, the network effect is this like infinitely growing thing. You keep adding people, the value keeps going up. Well, the value can actually not be measured in a single unit, right? And this is the problem of the units of account. And, you know, once the networks get too big, actually they start to uh, cause problems, right? And so, you know, Facebook is like a great example. Initially, everyone's like, great, like, yeah, getting on Facebook, like network effect, you know? And then it takes over the whole world and is like, it destroys democracy. It's like, okay, how's that for network effect, right? And so I worry that the the same kinds of, of things are at play in, in the monetary systems where, you know, you get like two big to fail and 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 just by like financializing everything uh we neglect the actual actual structure and and, and values that we that we need to put in place and even you know even with refi there are potentially those issues with 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 ko-fi i'm sure we're going to have it have it as well but that's why we're really trying to focus on real world patterns of trade and activity and you know payments are you know money what, what is money it's it's about payments right money is where the payments are um, and if you're just locking up your, your, your ETH as collateral, like, I'm not sure that's money. Maybe it's a store of value, but if you're not making payments, um, you know, you know, what are you doing? And, and, you know, payments are the inverse of the supply chain, right? And if we care about sustainability, we need local sustainable supply chains. And so by really focusing in on the sort of payments graph on finding ways to incentivize more local supply chains, more local payments, you know, being able to make payments without having to inject liquidity, right? The best money is the friends you make along the way kind of thing. Um, that's uh, that's sort of Kofi, you know, Kofi collaborative finance to me, and and, and I think you know uh, regenerative finance is a way to sort of step, get us towards that by thinking about okay, how do how can we create incentives, um, you know, take better care of of the land and and steward our, our ecology, and and all that's really important. But there's always this risk that we sort of get carried away with finance, that the sort of capitalist interest can take over, that you know Wall Street will usurp everything, that will price everything in U.S. dollars. Like these are all these are all big uh, big problems and, and and concerns for me. Okay, so Ethan, those were the, the four themes that you discussed uh, at the beginning of the show about the, the main differences that you have with, uh, with uh, the Ethan thought and the versus the bankless thought. Rather than bankless, co-opt full, uh, instead of a monetary premium, markets that can clear extremely liquid uh, in a 
in extremely liquid fashion. Uh, instead of empires, there's many, many city-states, and instead of DeFi, there's ReFi. Uh, and and before we completely transition into where me and Ryan will will argue with some of these things, we'll push back on some of these things. I just want to uh, start with this much more broad question: where we have network effects in the world, we have capital begets capital, we have liquidity that begets liquidity, uh, network effects bege- uh, begets network effects, and I think a lot of the the themes that I've I've heard you say is that, uh, or uh, my first pushback would be that there's a lot uh, between the is ought gap of what mm-hmm. you are saying. There is. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of things that you think should exist, uh, yeah. yet they don't exist, and and I think that uh, there's there's a gap there that I think is going to be difficult to transcend. And we t- we've talked about well, the old model, the old models for empires, the physical empires of the world, they come and go, right? Well, look at the network effects of Facebook; it's gotten so big that it's bad for the world. Like, oh, the the new empire is America, and it's completely misaligned with with its users, and uh, and so I'm se- we're seeing all these same patterns, and I. Think I think the difference between our ideology about the the world, our thesis about the future world of crypto networks and and yours is that you're saying, look at all these similar structures that have come and gone because they haven't worked. We should use crypto networks to go in a different direction. And I think Ryan and I are saying, look at all these models that have come and gone throughout the world providing some utility, a lot of utility at some points in time, and then eventually they came down and broke and crumbled. But look at the crypto networks, they're going to exhibit similar patterns into the future, and they're going to be better. In the same way that just like the American democracy was way more uh, just peaceful and advanced and technologically innovative than like the Roman democracy or the Roman empire. Like these things do progress. And so, Mm -hmm. sure, like there's nothing about the crypto network, uh, the future of crypto networks that's going to fix everything, but they still will exhibit the same patterns that we've seen before for better Mm -hmm. or for worse, but they will be better than the ones that came previously. And so I think you, you, you point towards history and you say, look at all these examples of the times it didn't work. And I think we point to history and we say, look at all of these examples of these patterns that have come and gone, but been significant improvements from their predecessors. Mm-hmm. And now we are going to see these same patterns exhibit themselves in the future. And they are also going to be uh, better than the predecessors, better than what we have today. And maybe in like, uh, you know, a, a generation, 80 years, uh, 100, 200 years, hopefully as long as possible, that they do crumble because they do are finally misaligned with society. But for now, mm-hmm. they are fantastic models that are uh, strong extrapolations from what we've seen previously. Uh, and maybe in the future, that they, 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 they crumble in the same way that we're seeing Facebook crumble or the Roman Empire crumble. Mm-hmm. But not today. But not now. What would you say to that? Yeah, I mean, there's, there, that's, certainly, um, that's certainly one way to, to approach this thing. Um, I'm, I'm interested in long-term sustainability, and that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, any singular system is going to last forever. Uh, I think part of what we need to understand is that no single system can last forever and that there are, there are cycles. Um, but the, uh, the sort of imperial, imperialist empire model, I think, tries to pretend that there aren't, that they are going to be the one, you know, empire to rule them all and that they won't end. And so when the end does inevitably come, it's chaos, it's destruction, you know? Uh, and so I think what I'm, what I'm proposing is a way of internalizing within the model of the empire that the empire will end and that the end of the empire isn't, doesn't need to be chaos, doesn't need to be destruction. And the only way that I, I think or I know that could be possible is if there are uh, a plurality 
of of you know polities that can sort of pick up the slack and and that you can sort start to move between. So if one goes down, it's sort of okay. It's not it's not the end of the world, right? And so um, you know, I think we are we are lined somewhat there. But you know, and, and go, going back to the Izzat thing, I mean, I, I agree. You know, I I don't want to sit here on a, on a moral as a moralist and just be like, oh, you're all you're all bad because you know you want to get yeah. rich and you want you want to make money. I mean, you know, that's it's fine. That's the way it is. But we have made changes in our um, culture through you know um, through discourse, through writing, through the spread of ideas that have like dramatically changed human behavior and the way we approach things and and this like the nature of accumulation and you know civilization is in some sense just like a um, you know a, a means of accumulation and all we're doing is like accumulating more and more and there there are inflection points where like the accumulation just ramps up. Um, and I, I, you know, it's one thing to say, okay, well, we ought not to accumulate so much. Right. Um, and, and at some level, okay, that's what I'm saying. But at another level, it's like, well, we can actually intervene in material ways in these like accumulistic tendencies, um, and, and, and potentially reverse them or, or, or change the way we approach them, right. Change the way we think about growth. And, you know, we could, we could get into like a whole discussion about, you know, growth and, and, and degrowth. And I'm not a degrowther per se, I'm a sustainable growther, right. I prefer patterns of growth that are, uh, circular in nature, right. And that grow in, in, in a sustainable way. And I do think there are, there are ways of, of sort of moving us towards that, but it does require, you know, talking about these ideas, not you know, not uh, sort of adhering to some kind of like um, historical determinism that's like, well, this is the way it is and this is the way empires are. And, and so, you know, how could you how could you change that? I mean, things change all the time, all the time throughout history, uh, because passionate people, you know, push things through. And 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 a lot of times uh, it's it's for the worst. And maybe my interventions are going to be for the worst. And, you know, uh, some kind of chaotic anarchy will, will ensue if people listen to me. <laughs> I mean, I, I hope not. But, um, you know, that's I, I think that's how I that's how I think about it, that, you know, on the one hand, we do have to be playing the current game. But on the other hand, we have to be shaping a new game. And, and that's a really hard thing to do. Right. Um, and that's something I struggle with all the time, you know, because, uh, yeah, in order to stay alive, to play your new game, you have to keep playing the old game, right? And uh, that's a really interesting challenge. That's that you know that's worth thinking about and talking about more. Well, you, you do sort of wonder if Ethan's view of the world leads to some sort of like the the dystopian uh, like element would be warring feudal city states that uh -huh. can't get along, and the you know the bankless version of things is like this super evil empire that's mm -hmm. just like everyone hates, but they're forced to, everyone to behave. comply with. You must behave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so there are dark versions yeah. of, of everything. And so like what we would say, Ethan, is we super respect the fight on the social layer to actually try to create the ought world. Mm. And I think that is very much what, what Bankless also wants. So we're in full alignment there. And I have to ask the questions we get into kind of like the, the money portion and our main main pushback on, on one of uh, your thesis points is um, back to what David was saying. How do you fight the network effect of this thing, uh, the mm. network effect of, of money? For example... Um, if Bitcoin had a lot of people, you know, talk about, hey, the best monetary system is actually inflationary, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you're distributing some, it's not all going to existing holders, that sort of thing. But if Bitcoin had like, say, what Cosmos has, which is, I don't know, seven, eight percent inflation, something like this, correct me if I'm wrong, right? Some inflation per year, then it would lose to a monetary system that had no inflation or minimal inflation. Why? By virtue of the fact that people want to store their money in the thing that is most deflationary, right? Mm -hmm. And it has most certainty of that deflation in the, in the future. And so you're up against these network effects mm -hmm. with your, the ought vision of things. And so one of the bankless thesis has been as a result of how we're perceiving how the world is, is a blockchain has to be money in order to win. And what we mean is a blockchain has to, in order to accrue the, the most secure chain status, 
it has to have the highest degree of monetary premium. And you see this very much with what Bitcoin is, is trying to achieve. It has achieved its security through proof of work by having moneyness. People want to store Bitcoin as valuable and increases the overall security of the Bitcoin, the, the Bitcoin network. And that is where all chains ultimately derive their, their securities from the value of its asset. And when you have a chain that has this magic monetary premium energy, you probably heard this in our, in our Ultrasound Money podcast, you're essentially you get security budget uh, for free. And so our view of the world is all of these chains ultimately... If you're if you're fighting to be a settlement layer, if you're fighting to be if you're playing the empire game, which we say all chains kind of are playing the empire game, because if you're a city state against an empire, you're probably going to lose. Then that means all chains are are playing the monetary premium game. What would you say to that? Do you think that that is that is off basis? And if so, how does a app chain ecosystem fight against a, a chain that is playing the monetary premium game very well? There's a lot to unpack there. Um, one thing that jumps out is, is it's, it's actually, I don't think it's true that the city-states struggle against the empires. Um, at least, you know, the Italian city-states had, had as much uh, revenue and wealth flowing through them as some of the largest empires at the time uh, and, and, and went on to actually be critical to some of those empires growing. Um, and I don't think everyone is, is, is you know, and, and going back to my, my understanding about money and the sort of monetary pre premium and store of value, that is important when the clearing system breaks down, right? So when when um, when money doesn't move well, then everyone wants to hoard it, right? Uh, and 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 then it's important that you actually stock up on liquidity on something that you know everyone will accept because the clearing network is broken, the the trade network is broken. You can't actually um, you know you can't actually get what you need through what you produce, right? Uh, and and that's what money is supposed to be for. It's supposed to be enabling you know some level of specialization to still allow everyone to get to get what they need. I think, and so if we if we focus on you know this monetary premium thing and the store of value thing, that's important in a world where the clearing system is completely broken down and and the banks are broken and no one can act, can get access to the stuff. But if we only focus on that, I think we miss the actual important thing, which is like making payments at the end of the day. And if your system is hostile to making payments because the cost is is massive because you're using a, a deflationary currency and, and you know the price is always going up and, and and so on, well, you know at some point every positive feedback loop you know runs into a wall. Um, and so, you know, I think uh, we actually need to take that aspect of money, the payments aspect, uh, a, a, and, and the clearing aspect a little bit more, a little bit more seriously. And I think there's a role and an important, uh, you know, element that this sort of store value monetary premium thing plays. But I don't think, um, I don't think it's the be all end all. And I don't think it's the only thing that all these blockchains are, 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 are competing to provide. The blockchains are competing to, I mean, they're, they're community computers, they're competing to represent the interests of their communities, right? And, and, you know, that's not necessarily a zero sum game, because there are so many different communities, so many different interests, and people who want different things. And it's not necessarily all of them wanting to be the global reserve currency. Uh, I don't know that global reserve currency is a good idea, or that it's, it's a stable thing, or, 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 or should last. So, um, you know, from that perspective, um, no, I, I, you know, I don't, uh, I don't agree that that's the game we're all playing. And, you know, I do think it's important that some, some chains play that game, but not all of them. And I don't think it's true that, you know, I, I think there was a line in, in David's empire post, like, if you're not playing for the number one spot, you're not playing. Uh, you know, that's not true. A uh, lot, a lot of teams are playing. And, 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 and their play is very important. And they're not playing for the number one spot. And, and, and still, that's okay. Um, because it's not just about monetary premium. It's about much more than that. Yeah, and, and I really think that there is actually these 
aren't mutually exclusive visions. And right. I think the future of this world is actually how do we include these, how do we integrate these two visions? Because I think they're very, very integratable. Uh, something you said, Ethan, was that uh, the, the Italian city-states had more money flowing through them than, than the empire itself. And they, that actually helped the empire grow just because of the power of the city-state. Well, when you say that, to me, that means that these things are actually integrated. Uh -huh. And if the value of the city-state helps the value of the empire, in my mind, there, there is a relationship between the empire and the city-state where mm -hmm. the city-state is a part of the empire. No. Uh, and and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go into that. I'll illustrate that. And like what, what I'm th what I'm thinking is you have this like topology of many, many networks and we have this uh, vision of a many, many, uh, many, many roll up ecosystem on Ethereum that settles down to the empire. Right. And the value in each one is given its sovereignty. And this this uh, this market clearing effort can be the bridges around all the layer twos, especially ZK rollups, because of how uh, atomic transactions can be across one, two, five, ten rollups all at once. And so we have this mesh network of a clearinghouse, but it's fundamentally secured by the incentive that Ryan was talking about earlier with the money, the uh, monetary effects, the monetary aggregation, liquidity because liquidity at, at the base layer. That's how I, I and I think these things just completely integrate with each other. What we're really going at is we're we're playing a thumb war as like who's on the bottom, Ooh. like who 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 pinned the other one. And this one is inverse, right? Because you, I think the whole city states. I think your vision is the layer above the security layer, uh, and I think yours. What you're saying is like no 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 no. My vision is at uh, below, and that is the new. That's the new paradigm. That's the new sustainable no, field. I think I think Do they're in parallel. No, I think they're in parallel. Um, parallel. Yeah, because because you know, I, depending on who I'm arguing with, will 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 determine you know what uh, what I'm going to emphasize, right? Um, and you know, if like I'll argue with Cosmos people that Bitcoin and Ethereum are important and they have you know an important role to play in in our future, and I'll argue with Ethereum and Bitcoin people that you know that's not the the be all end all, and we also need this Cosmos thing. So so I think it's actually um, there are, there's a, a parallelism here, and and that's the that's the kind of idea behind sovereignty that you do need this you know plurality. Um, of, of, of systems that sort of have their own have their own rules and govern themselves and that they're all interoperable with each other. And it's that emergent net mesh, it's that connective tissue, I think was the, the term you used before, which I really love, actually, um, connective tissue. I think that's the most important thing. And, you know, just to make a, you know, connection to human health, like, everyone ignores the connection, connective tissue, right? Everyone thinks about the organs and the heart and the lungs and the, you know, the bones and whatever. But the thing that actually holds the human being together is the connective tissue and the health impacts of, you know, unhealthy connective tissue and fascia and, you know, knots and all these things like uh, that's where chronic stress is held. That's where, you know, longevity is. It's in it's in healthy connective tissue. Right. And so rather than focusing on, you know, the one empire and how the empire secures itself or, you know, the heart and what keeps the heart beating, it's actually how do all the pieces connect? And it's that connective tissue that that is, um, I think, so important to 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 healthy societies as, um, as well. And that's why, you know, part of why Cosmos has focused so much on IBC and building this general purpose standard for an internet of blockchain so that all these chains can can communicate with each other on sort of common standard grounds. And I don't think we've even begun to see the the potential of that. There's all kinds of new uh, new functionality and sort of application layer protocols coming over IBC that are just going to completely change the landscape of um, of the sort of internet of blockchains and and produce new forms of political alignment and and new approaches to security and and new ways to mesh the security of different chains together. And so, you know, this, this model of like, oh, there's this one empire, you know, security thing at the center, and it'll provide security to every, everything else. Uh, I, I think it's a, I think it's very limited. And, and there's a, you know, we, we don't need to constrain ourselves to that. There's a lot more that, that we can do.
one thing I'll, I'll just say, just so it's clear to everyone, is like the Bankless thesis is also um, super glad and happy that all of these different visions of the world exist, mm -hmm. right? And I, I think that there is a strong Bitcoin maximalist position that all other non-Bitcoin chains are evil. That is definitely not the Bankless thesis. Our thesis is more like, let the best chain win. Yeah, and mm -hmm. works, we hope works. that the, the best chain is not a particular chain, but like... Uh, decentralization, maximum decentralization, and mm -hmm. competition is very good. It also keeps empire models like Ethereum on their toes and allows people to defect when the empire doesn't serve them very well. So I'll just mm -hmm. say that. But let's let's get into some specifics here because uh, I want to talk about maybe, maybe layer two economics versus mm -hmm. kind of a Cosmos app chain economics for, mm -hmm. for, for a minute. And so one of the theses of, of like in Bankless as to why layer twos will actually dominate is because they get security, uh, not for free, but at massively reduced cost, right? Cool. So in the Cosmos ecosystem, or if, if you're booting up your own chain, an app chain or a side chain, you have to essentially fund all of your security budget through validators. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you have to pay for these validators in the primary way every chain, Ethereum right now included, pays for its validators is by issuing more of its currency. So mm -hmm. block rewards. Mm -hmm. So for Atoms to pay for the security budget of um, all of its validators in the Cosmos network, it has to issue some Atom tokens on an annual basis. Transaction fees are not nearly enough to pay for validator costs. Mm -hmm. And so what we not see yet. in layer twos, not yet, what we see in layer twos is that um, you get kind of that security for free. The only thing you have to pay for is uh, Ethereum block space because you can mm -hmm. settle your transactions on Ethereum. And so we're seeing layer twos um, starting to issue tokens like Optimism, for example. And the nice thing about the Optimism token is Optimism doesn't actually have to fund its security through subsidies. It doesn't actually have to issue more OP tokens in order to fund its security. In fact, it can pay its Ethereum security budget, can purchase the blockchain uh, space from Ethereum uh, as a as a fraction of its transaction fees, essentially. So how does a sidechain compete against a layer two that gets its security at massively reduced cost when a, when a sidechain or an app chain has to boot up its validator set and boot up its economics from the base layer? Uh, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, so that the whole point is sovereignty, right? And, uh, and, and not inheriting the security from someone else if you don't want to, right? And, and being able to provide it for yourself. And, um, you know, security isn't necessarily just denominated in, um, in dollars. And I think when we do that, we discount other aspects of, of the system, which are that, you know, in, in a, a cosmos chain, you know, part of the ideal is that the entities running the chain, they care specifically about that application, they are there, you know, to serve that community and, and, and to be part of that, um, that community. And there's more to it than just, you know, the, the sort of crypto economic um, security that that's on the line. And so, it's, there's definitely a cost, obviously, um, to putting up your own your own security, and that you know that's been a common critique against Cosmos since the beginning. Is like, oh, no one's going to be able to put their own validator sets together; it's too expensive. And of course, you know that doesn't seem to be the case. There's a proliferation of these app chains, and it seems like this app, the app chain thesis was actually you know um, very much uh, uh, correct to a significant extent. But the app chain thesis alone is uh, is is insufficient, and part of part of what Cosmos is, is looking at now is sort of filling in the spectrum of sovereignty, right? From a fully independent application-specific blockchain secured by its own token and validator set 
to you know uh, a smart contract on an existing blockchain or an L2 or you know what we're building right now, this um, shared security solution for the Cosmos Hub will allow uh, other chains to launch using the security of the staked atoms on the Cosmos Hub to run their own chains. You know, similar to to sort of L2 designs, but we do that over IBC. Right. And so we can use, you know, so we've sort of built from the bottom up and said, okay, let's do sovereignty first, prioritize sovereignty. Every community can run their own computer and, and can secure it in the way that's appropriate for them, whether it's issuing a token, whether it's using reputation, whether it's using their legal system, whatever they want. Right. Um, and then let's build a general purpose interoperability protocol so that different different chains can can communicate in arbitrary ways. And then we can start to think about, okay, now let's fill in the spectrum of sovereignty using that interoperability protocol and using those pieces we have so that we can offer people, you know, the the ability to have L2s and, and to inherit their security from a parent chain and, and, and things like that. So um, it's more a, uh, you know, a, a difference in the sort of approach we take into sort of more bottom up than the kind of top down, well, let's build the most secure global, you know, base chain first, and then everyone can inherit security from there, you know, we're sort of going kind of the other way, well, let's make it easy for everyone to build their own chain, not the most secure in the world. But you know, at least in, in, in the terms you might denominate, it, if you're looking just purely in USD, like attack cost or something, there are lots of other factors to attacking a chain, but um, let's do that first, and, and then sort of build our way up to, you know, more, more global uh, security and being able to inherit that security for uh, more application specific uh, use cases. You said uh, that chains will be able to choose whether or, or not they want to be uh, have their own security, right? Like if you don't have to f fall under the empire model, you can just you can just make your own security, right? Yep. And, I, and I will say that the only way that Ethereum grows as an empire model is that it actually incents chains to adopt it for whatever purposes, for whatever incentives to become a part of the empire, right? Like so, mm -hmm. uh, become a part of the network. So no, every network is completely sovereign, but it's Ethereum's job to convince every sovereign networks like, hey, you will actually have advantages if you use us for security. And the, mm -hmm. the kind of the image I have is like, you know, you know, water, just like water droplets congregate and then they get bigger and then like a new one comes and then it gets bigger and another one comes and then the center gets bigger. And mm -hmm. this is what really Vitalik was uh, working towards when he made Ethereum in the first place, right? He was working on like this master coin thing and every single chain that was like a Swiss army knife. And he was like, okay, well, this chain has like a screwdriver, uh, a knife and like a can opener. But this chain over here has like these components. What if I just make like a generalizable chain where like all these other things can just be built on, right? And so it it, it seems to be a very similar uh, thing where we there there's all these different use cases. Back then he was thinking about apps, but now we're thinking about chains. Mm -hmm. uh, and so every single chain has complete sovereignty over what to do with itself. Mm -hmm. um, but you illustrated Ethereum as like this top-down thing, like we'll just be hyper secure and then we'll just make all the chains. But I think there's an equal and opposite way to view this where Ethereum is hyper secure and all of the crypto networks on Ethereum or not on Ethereum look at that hyper security and be like, I want some of that. Mm -hmm. And so Ethereum just has a really good product that the sovereignty uh, that every single chain sees is like, hey, if we go onto Ethereum, we get to retain like 95% of our sovereignty. And so we will just choose to give up 5% of the sovereignty using the ETH to, to make an L1 chain and adhere into the EVM. And then it's still this bottom up organic structure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, all you have to do is accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and then you can do whatever else you want in your life, right? I mean. <laughs> okay, and, and one, one thing I'll, I'll say onto that, and this will get into like the last section that we have in this in this little bit, is like security, right? Where if every single chain is its own independent security mechanism, 
and there's this many multi-chain ecosystem, uh, probably going to be proof of stake because that's just what I think the industry has converged upon. In this many, many proof of stake chain world, like you're, you're baking in uh, just proof of stake risk layered on top of proof of stake risk layered on oh, yeah. top of proof of stake risk, right? Like every single chain requires two thirds honest majority. And when you fracture one central pool of security, which is the Ethereum model into 50, 100, 1,000 different blockchains, each with their own two thirds mm -hmm. honest majority assumption, you stack these things on top of each other. Rather than converging it into one shared security pool, which is Ethereum, you have mm -hmm. many, many, many micro pools and the network of the... There's this thing called a uh, gestalt psychology where like the sum of the part, the, the sum of the parts is greater. The whole is the sum greater than the sum of the parts. Mm -hmm. That in my mind, that's Ethereum security. When you align all of these chains together, you get something greater than just a sum of the parts. Mm -hmm. But when you break everything up, you have all of these two thirds honest majority assumptions. Then we need to do a two thirds honest proof of stake bridge to be to have all these bridging ecosystems. And we were just uh, on, on a technical level, on a security level, like the the aggregate security of the entire industry of the entire ecosystem is just not comparable to what happens when you aggregate security. So yes, we have this very modular world where these some chains can fail, some parts of the organism can die, they can re be replaced by other things. But yeah. over, over like net net, you will see more dying of chains because they didn't share their security because they didn't become cooperative with their security so instead of like an empire model polynaya somebody i was talking to when doing some research for this talked about like well no empire isn't the right terminology it's more about cooperative democracies mm. that all share security um mm. that, that's my pushback on that yeah i mean I, I like the ideal of of cooperative democracies um and i like the idea of shared securities at at, at certain layers um and and you know I've, I've i've said repeatedly i think bitcoin and and ether and and the kind of settlement guarantees they provide are important things to lean on uh but they're not the only things that that matter and um you know the the ability for communities to determine what security means to them and to provide it on on terms that are appropriate to them I think is is arguably more important than everyone pooling into a sort of singular common security pool. Um, not least because, well, what if there's something wrong with that singular common security pool? What if it, you know, what if Lido takes over because of the, you know, the the way the staking system works, right? And so there's a, you know, inherently, if we actually care about decentralization, like, shouldn't we care about decentralization of decentralization itself, right? <laughs> um, and so, you know, if if there's only one true, wholly decentralized solution. Is that decentralization? I mean, these are these are interesting um, interesting dilemmas to, that that we have to deal with, right? Um, and so the so you know, I'm not I, I'm not saying it's 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 definitely one or the other. I think we do need both. We do need this multi scale reality. We need these sort of emergent topologies. Um, I would say I am very concerned about proof of stake as an economic mechanism and the sort of um, centralizing forces, the, the rich get richer forces, the like lack of grounding in sort of real world thermodynamics, all of these things uh, uh, concern me. And I see proof of stake as a stepping stone and that there is a lot more work to do on civil resistance mechanisms, on, um, you know, organizing governance, on introducing randomness into these systems, like uh, grounding them, uh, providing more accountability, integrating with um, with legal systems or, or, or constructing, you know, sort of new forms of, of, of judicial and legal systems that draw on, you know, a thousand years of, of, of tradition in this respect. We don't have to sort of invent everything from scratch, discover everything from scratch. There's a, there's a lot of work to do here. And we're, we're just at the beginning. I mean, this is a, this is a stepping stone, right? So I sort of see this, this trajectory of moving from 
uh, you know, global, anonymous, low resolution systems for, for you know, um, for identifying, let's say, individuals like, like proof of work, you know, or, or anti-Sybil, uh, like proof of work and progressively moving towards more and more locally attuned uh, systems, right? And that's, you know, so you step towards proof of stake and maybe from there it's on to like proof of bandwidth or, you know, the holy grail is like proof of care, proof of plant, right? Like we should be issuing money to the people that keep society alive, right? Like that is you know, the, the, the whole economic system needs to be flipped. And what's super interesting about what Bitcoin did and what the blockchains are doing is to say, hey, what, what's important? Security. Okay, we think security is the only important thing. So we're going to issue our tokens to the people that provide security. And, and you know, that's all that matters. Okay, that, that's great for building, you know, a secure blockchain. But we have a lot more to do as a society than just provide some security. We have to actually keep ourselves alive. And unfortunately, you can't eat, you know, Bitcoin. You can't eat Ether. You can't eat, you know, your ASIC or your, uh, or your you know, validator key or whatever, right? Um, and so, so finding ways to actually ground this stuff in, in more real world productive work and, and, and labor and, and care, uh, and, you know, growing plants and all this stuff, uh, is going to be really important. And there's no way to pool security on that. We can't share, you know, a global, uh, food system because, you know, we're doing that right now and it's, it's crisis and we're, you know, we're, we're probably on the verge of famine with, you know, the wars and, and the supply chain, um, you know, issues and, and all this stuff. So, um, if we don't attend to this need for much more local representation and capacity, uh, and we try to do everything on this like global shared security settlement layer, uh, then, then we're going to have the same kind of problems. And that's not to say the global shared security settlement layer isn't important or doesn't have a role, but it's not sort of the only thing, right? So I think, um, they, you know, like I was saying, they're, they're in parallel, you, you sort of need both. And we don't know exactly what the right emergent topology is, but that's, that's what we're discovering. So Ethan, uh, one of our other I guess critiques or one of my other critiques uh, on this is about side chains and app chains and how they can uh, become plutocracies. Mm-hmm. And maybe we'll talk about this because we've we've echoed some themes of this, right? So uh, you know, imagine the city state, but unfortunately, the city state is controlled by kind of a a validating elite plutocracy. And I know you're mm-hmm. talking about a co-op where it's sort of one worker, one vote, but mm-hmm. we are so far removed from that in like all chain ecosystems, but in particular like to- uh, coin vote chain ecosystems that are controlled by a very small uh, subset of validators. And so calling these things plutocracies is, is actually not incorrect, at least yeah. the stage of governance that that we're in today. Mm-hmm. And so I tweeted this out and it was somewhat of a of a spicy tweet. And I think this is part of the original prompting for a call. And it wasn't actually against Cosmos. My my critique is is more about like uh, Cosmos types of, of chains being sort of the base layer of our economic system and our money system. And I saw this very much reflected in uh, UST and Terra, for example, Terra being a base money. My critique was basically like a very small set of validators actually control if you look at binance smart chain or like the the terra mm-hmm. network it's a very small subset of individuals and these sort of look like the plutocrats or the the neo banks if you will mm-hmm. um i actually uh used to be a validator in the cosmos ecosystem as well and yeah. uh it's fantastic like the ecosystem builds like hell a bunch of talented engineers but i was kind of looking for something that was a bit more like i guess credibly neutral at the at the at the at the monetary level and scaling of money. And I didn't see that in a network like Cosmos. It was because a lot of when you distribute via um, DPOS and an ICO sale and that sort of thing, you have a lot of insiders, employees, whale plutocrats who actually get to control the system. And then when you add on-chain governance to that, that means the same plutocrats with token vote actually get to make the decisions in the system. So you've got on-chain governance, you've got a small validator set, which is capped to like 
you know, 100, 120 uh, validators. And then you have, because you're doing proof of stake right from the get-go and you don't have like uh, years of doing proof of work, you have a very difficult to distribute token set that is that is unsolved right now. And so I'm less concerned about like a system like Cosmos, but I'd be more concerned, like a, a network of chains like Cosmos, I would be more concerned if we relied on this structure as kind of an empire, right? It, it'd almost be like pu putting kind of the, the United States governance system and, and constitution in the hands of like Facebook shareholders, uh -huh. right? Something like this or corporate structure where it's, it's basically like one share, one vote sort of systems. And why do we not do that? Because we need stronger governance, governance layers at the public uh, layer where citizens get representation. So uh -huh. the answer to this in my mind is just you try to remove governance altogether and you try to make the chain maximally uh, credibly neutral. That's where we are in the cycle. How would you respond to some of those critiques about plutocracy? Yeah, I mean, it's something that, that concerns me deeply. Um, it seems like to some extent this is um, this is part of the package with proof of stake and one of the one of the challenges with it. And you know, I don't think Ethereum is going to be immune to this issue either. Um, I think there's there's a lot of work that needs to be done on proof of stake systems to address this. There are already, you know, I mean, I, I would caveat a lot of the things you say. You know, there are. Um, it's not like the the validators completely control things. There are delegators, and, and the delegators can override the votes of their validators. And we see massive amounts of delegator participation on 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 Cosmos and and, and Cosmos chains. And um, so there's sort of you know there's always more more to the story. There's still the ability for you know social consensus and and, and hard forks to deal with things. And um, you know we had this uh, like in, in Game of Stakes, right? I don't know. Were you, were you in Game of Stakes with? Uh, yeah, right. So they, they yeah, we discovered that there was, you know, cool. one of the validators was like actually sibling or something and they kicked them out. Right. And that hasn't happened on a mainnet yet, but it's only a matter of time before we decide to kick Binance out of the validator set. I mean, um, you know, that would be uh, that'd be pr pretty interesting to see. And and <laughs> I don't know if you're following what's happening in Juno. There's like this crazy, um, you know, effort to steal the money of uh, someone who, who who basically, you know, uh, unfairly benefited from from the airdrop, let's say. Right. Um, and that's, that's a bit of a mess. But but governance is. Um, is messy. And it's, I certainly agree that there is a layer at which we, we want to minimize governance. Um, but there are also areas where we want to, um, you know, support it and enable it and not necessarily maximize it. I don't know if that's, you know, spend all our time politicking, but um, certainly some level of, of governance control. But right now we're sort of in this, you know, intermediate period where we're trying to, you know, uh, we're trying to experiment with new with new cryptogra uh, cryptocurrency systems. And obviously we can't just use proof of work. So we've had to invent this, this proof of stake thing so that we can proliferate and not just, you know, use in insane amounts of energy. Uh, and there are there are challenges with, with the economics and they're being, you know, captured in various ways and all the proof of stake systems. And I don't think uh, Ethereum is um, excluded from this. Uh, are, are going to struggle with these things and and we will need more you know better mechanisms and 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 more research and there's a lot to be done here um to improve the situation um but i don't think it's um you know it, it it's not the end of the world yet this is like just the beginning of uh, of a whole new class of systems and there are risks of them being captured absolutely and we have to be diligent and, and do a lot of work to um to improve them but again they're not you know uh, they're not just about you know it's not like each system is trying to be the global um global reserve money they're trying to build communities and represent those communities and 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 serve them and do things for them and and in that respect having you know maybe somewhat more concentrated validator sets are uh are appropriate right and i mean the other thing i would say about it is like 
Cosmos has taken a very uh, practical approach to uh, to its go to market, right? It's sort of at each at each stage, we wanted to have something that works and that could like provide value to people rather than embarking on just this like grand, you know, five, 10 year project to like come up with a whole new proof of stake system and then deploy it all at once, sort of more, more the um, more what Ethereum is trying to do and not not to knock that approach. I mean, I, I think both are actually it's important to really have both and they they, um, you know, they complement each other and they feed back on each other. And, and I think we've both learned, you know, both Cosmos is taken from Ethereum and, and vice versa. Um, but, you know, it's not like the current proof of stake of Cosmos is stuck where it is. I mean, it's an evolving, developing thing, right? So, you know, the Cosmos Hub now has uh, 175 validators. You know, we just voted to to increase that. And so a lot of smaller validators were able to get in. And, you know, it, it won't be long before we're able to introduce, um, you know, aggregator threshold signatures into the validator system to allow that number to increase to thousands, right? And then it's a question of, well, how do we actually then start to force decentralization of the stake? And there are various ways that we can do that. I mean, one one thing is to try to get Get people off of the centralized exchanges so that the exchanges kind of don't have so much um, so much capital to stake and sort of lose their lose their spot. And you know, one approach to that is 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 going to be introduce liquid staking natively into the chain because one of the things that attracts people to centralized exchanges are the you know the derivatives, the off chain derivatives they can provide that allow you know their stake to be um, to be liquid. And so if we you know if we could provide that natively on chain, well then maybe that that can sort of bring people over and reduce their stake. So there's there's all kinds of but this is just the beginning, right? There's all kinds of things we can be doing and working on to um, you know to better democratize and you know, you know, I agree, you know, Ethereum is is really unique and interesting because it has this, it'll have had this history of proof of work, which is, you know, probably remains the most effective, the most fair, let's say, quote unquote, fair distribution system known to man for a global anonymous uh, cryptocurrency. I mean, there's like no doubt about that. And so uh, I'm almost jealous of Ethereum that it's sort of able to have this like proof of work beginning. And, you know, I've always kind of wished we could do something, um, something like that and, and, and maybe still will. I mean, one of the cool things about, about, um, Cosmos chains is you can build whatever you want at the application layer, right? You can you can use proof of work to distribute the coin, even though the system is proof of stake or or you know using uh, Tendermint or or whatever, right? So there's there's a, a huge uh, you know landscape of possibilities and, and possible um, experiments and, and innovation to happen, and and even moving beyond proof of stake. So there's there's a system now that the um, Confio team who built uh, Cosmwasm has been working on called proof of engagement, where they're actually trying to, you know, have the anti-Sybil mechanism require you to be more engaged. And they, you know, try to measure that in different ways. And but again, all of this requires being willing to move away from this like fully global anonymous objective, you know, fully verifiable if you've been a cave, been in a cave for a month uh, kind of approach to more local, you know, accountable, somewhat subjective um, aspects and and to say that money only exists at the one layer and not the other is I think to miss a huge spectrum of aspects of money that are actually critical to money working right and and part of money is yes this like reliable you know sort of don't have to trust anyone you know gold bars kind of kind of mindset but the other is this very much um, you know credit based aspect of money I mean money is you know I mean, people in, in monetary theory are arguing to the to the end of time about whether money is a means of exchange or a unit of account, whether it's a commodity or uh, credit, right? Whether it's um, you know comes from comes from the state or comes from metal, things like this, right? And and both of them are obviously right. I mean, it's crazy to think it's just one or the other, and so we need to fill in all the pieces of that. And uh, and uh, you know, Cosmos is is trying to fill in, I think, a lot of that of that spectrum in where other people have focused on one piece. You know, we're focusing on the others, and it's going to take both to actually. Um, to actually create the money of the future. 
Ethan, just just one thing I want to add, because the whole distribution of stake, I think, is definitely going to be the big problem of crypto networks over the next decades or so. Uh, and l just like all the other proof of stake networks, Ethereum, as it turns to proof of stake, will also have this problem. But it also has one big, uh, very, very important difference, which I didn't I didn't hear your voice. So I want to voice it here is that there's actually formal governance stripping out of proof of stake. Uh, and so the the uh, the state, how transactions get updated in proof of stake uh, is verifiable and and uh, about throughout the whole network. Right. So there is no on chain governance uh, and there's only so much power that a validator has over the rest of the network when it is mm -hmm. time for that thing to that validator to, to propose a block. And if it doesn't propose the correct block in the correct way, it gets penalized by the rest of the, the proof of stake validator network. And so mm -hmm. uh, like social capital and governance value has been completely stripped away from Ethereum's proof of stake. And it really only has the returns on capital rather than any sort of other like governance powers that, that we would find with any on-chain voting. And so yes, like while there is like a centralization of power into the Ether asset, the, the the how that power is expressed is purely financial rather than being able to impart its values upon the the rest of the ecosystem uh and so while like in this in this whole empire model this convergence of stake into this one asset which we think is going to be really really valuable might seem a little dystopian to a lot of people the cool thing about cryptography is that we get to strip away the dystopian elements out of it and so this is the <laughs> new the new structure of of like uh these these empires or new structure of these democracies that i think will come into the future so i just wanted to add that that element i mean there's there's two sides to uh, dystopia there's there's chaos and order um and you know to uh, it, it can be dystopian to be able to arbitrarily change the system and it can be dystopian to not be able to change the system. Um, and so, you know, there's the, there's both sides. So I, I think the thing is, we'll see. I mean, we'll see where the power lies when there's a, when there's a real conflict. And I think, you know, a lot of people are, are suggesting, hey, actually, you know, who controls the Ethereum network is the custodial stablecoin issuers. And wherever those things are, that's going to determine what the, you know, what the upgrade is, what the what the fork outcome is and so on. And so, you know, part of the Cosmos thesis has been like, well, rather than let power lie implicitly where it will. Um, and we only find out who has the power in, in, in a conflict when they actually have to rise up and, and you know, assert themselves. Why don't we try to uh, make the power more explicit and surface it, right? And, and maybe we haven't done it in the best way yet. Absolutely. I mean, there's a, you know, uh, making power explicit is like the grand, in some way, the grand challenge of, you know, the history of, of human civilization. How do we give voice to people and find out what it is and, and actually act on it um, effectively? And so that's a big uh, sort of experimental thing. But again, to just to just say, well, all this kind of governance is, uh, you know, we, we need to absolutely minimize it. There are there are areas where that's true and that's important, and there are areas where that's not true, and 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 where we need to do the opposite. And so, Cosmos is is partially, uh, you know, uh, significantly an experiment on how to give more voice to stakeholders within the state machine, uh, and that's important in blockchains. It's important in society, and I think we need a better, really better political theory. I mean, in some sense, we're all you know aspiring political theorists to really um, you know understand how do we how do humans organize themselves? What's the right way to organize and secure? you know, economies and so on. And uh, I, I think this is a, a process of discovery and experimentation. And we, we all have a, a, a tremendous amount to learn. So um, yeah, appreciate being able to sort of come on here and, and, and talk about all these ideas. Uh, so it, it's Ethan, a lot of fun. I think we covered a lot of ground. Last question for you before we uh, we close this out. Um, importance of, of individuals being able to uh, be, become validators in the network. Um, 
you know, so uh, Cosmos has been limited by that. But uh, the the promise of Ethereum, the next gen of Ethereum, is actually anyone can be a validator if you have 32 ETH and spin it up. I know mm -hmm. that is the promise, and you were alluding to like, uh, you know, centralization around uh, staking and collateral with Lido and other other uh, crypto banks, let's call them. But uh, how important is that in the Cosmos? most ethos and do you believe that that is an ingredient to decentralization here yeah i do i, I think it's important i'm i think there are always um there are always trade-offs and and at the moment we've we've um you know for a variety of reasons we we, we selected a point in the trade-off space where you know at, beyond a certain point of a, of a chain success it will be harder for individual validators to join because there's you know a limit on on the number of validators and um, you know, and, and we've sort of taken a position that, okay, that's actually maybe sufficient. Maybe this long tail of validators doesn't necessarily help that much or doesn't add that much. And what you really want are, you know, highly available, committed validators that are sort of upholding, upholding the system. And you, you sort of have this, you know, tighter uh, integration between who's running it and, and what the actual application is. But I mean, that's a, that's just a current limitation. It's not, it's not like set in stone. It's not something that we're necessarily committed to defending that, you know, the validator sets can never increase. I mean, we see them increase somewhat steadily. All the networks are kind of increasing at their own pace. And there is work in the, in the Tendermint code base now um, to dramatically increase the size of the validator set by, you know, similar mechanisms that, um, that Ethereum is using, right? And so we can see that, you know, uh, I, I would love to see it be more accessible um, for individual validators to, um, to come in. I, I do think that's, that's important. Um, and, and there is work, uh, uh, to that effect. So hopefully, you know, in the next, I don't know, year, couple years, uh, at, at the latest, it will be, uh, much more validator sets will be much more accessible and there'll be, you know, a long tail of individuals participating. So Ethan, this has been super fun. Maybe let's just, uh, close with kind of summarizing arguments here and I'll start. So, so, uh, to allow you to, to finish with, with your thoughts here. I guess my TLDR on the back and forth is like there's so many points of alignment and we're, you know, uh, all super excited and happy that there are these other approaches to uh, to crypto. Right. If we had one monolithic approach, uh, that would be a recipe for disaster and, and failure. Um, definitely the bankless thesis does think that there are certain network advantages, monetary influence, these sorts of things that make sort of a an empire of love, maybe let's call it, um, probably result in in the dominant or one of the the most dominant power law winning uh, chains, and that's why we're we're probably more excited about the Ethereum version of things. Um, the other point of distinction, I would say, is uh, we're in the app layer. You know, you you mentioned kind of these things would be sort of in a similar place in the app layer. I think the the maximally decentralized version of that we see at Bankless is you have something like Ethereum, which maximizes a security and decentralization at the very bottom, and then you have layer twos on top of that that are much more expressive. These are these co-op type communities of the type you're you're talking about. Um, they handle execution, composability. They are also permissionless. These are the city states that essentially. Uh, are, are part of the defense network of the credibly neutral settlement layer. And then you have something above that, which is which is maybe more of the app chains as kind of a, a layer three. So in my mind, that is very much compatible with the Cosmos vision of things and uh, our most likely outcome thesis for how this space might evolve. And again, could be totally wrong. And uh, I'm super excited to see all of the, the Cosmos visions play out. Certainly for people that aren't aware, like Tendermint is core to so many chains. I mean, Tendermint is part of, you know, Matic, which I'm sure many Ethereum users uh, use today. It's just fantastic technology. Uh, it's, it's also part of Terra, 
which has certainly taken a chunk out of the DeFi story and the DeFi narrative. Mm-hmm. So we're certainly seeing the the Cosmos app chain layer like flex its muscles mm-hmm. these days. But that would be how I would summarize the bankless thesis. How would you summarize your pushback on that and uh, what you think, Ethan? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's obviously a lot, a lot good there, and, and probably a lot I would agree with. Um, for for us and and for me, it's it's really about um, you know, sovereignty and, and the community computer and, and that sort of, you know, analogy to, well, Ethereum being this base layer, um, that is sort of like a mainframe, right. And, and mainframes kind of, you know, don't govern the world today, uh, the way, the way people maybe once thought for various reasons and everyone has their own computer. And in a similar way, we expect that it will be very important to people, um, to communities to have their own computers, community computers, application specific blockchains, we could say, um, that they they can govern and and use in the way that's appropriate to them with the technology that's appropriate to them the you know virtual machines or languages that are appropriate to them the economics that are appropriate to them and and to not necessarily be beholden to um, to the the political economy of of Ethereum uh, regardless of the kinds of sovereignty that you know L2s on Ethereum can still offer there there's a, a whole spectrum of, of greater sovereignty that 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 people will want and demand and and we're seeing that. Uh, play out. So there's, you know, in my view, uh, an essential role for Ethereum in in the future. But I don't think it's as simple as, you know, Ethereum's at the center, and we just have concentric circles coming out. To me, it's more of like a fractal hierarchy, uh, and sort of a web um, of, um, of, of different blockchains and applications. And then, and then the other key piece, you know, just to summarize on is, uh, on, on this money aspect, I think monetary premium is important, especially in a world where our clearing systems uh, have broken down, but it's not the only thing. And if we're actually going to fix money, which I think many people here are, are interested in doing, we have to go a lot further than just store value and monetary premium. We have to you know, figure out how to construct units of account, how to make them you know, represent things that, that matter to the world, that are, that are sustainable, um, and, and actually enable clearing and, and local communities to, um, to engage with each other and, and to build more robust, uh, say, community economies. Well, excellent summary, Ethan. I think Bankless listeners uh, heard both sides and probably understand both sides of the story a lot better than when they came in. And as always in a Bankless podcast, we don't just talk technical. I mean, this is philosophy. This is, you know, biophysics. Uh, This is history. This is just about everything, which makes crypto uh, the best place to be in if you are looking for the future of uh, of humanity and to to spend your career. So thanks for joining us, Ethan. This has been a super awesome conversation. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. It It was a great time. Hope to do it again. Bankless Nation, a couple of action items for you. Uh, one, we have a, a link that Ethan was talking about, the map of zones, where you can see what the Cosmos ar- architecture looks like, what the ecosystem looks like across all of the various Cosmos chains. Also, Cosmos just released, and I believe it was this week, an EVM-compatible uh, version of a chain called uh, e- EVMOS. This was formerly called Evmos. Ethermint, I believe. Yeah. Uh, Evmos, okay. Yeah. Uh, this was formerly called Ethernet. Uh, Ethermint. Ethermint, excuse yeah. me, back yeah. in the day. So yeah. um, take a peek at that. We'll include a link in the show notes as well. Mm-hmm. As always, risks and disclaimers. All this stuff is risky. Sidechains, ETH, the whole gamut. DeFi is risky. You could definitely lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not financial advice. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.